today I'm going to be interviewing DZ Creeper, and you've been a very interesting sort of community member for a long time now. Always had some interesting perspectives and insights to offer, I think, and I'd really just be interested in seeing your opinion about the community as a whole. Uh, do you want to go and introduce yourself for a little bit? Hi, so I'm DZ Creeper. Most people just call, call me DZ because they don't like Minecraft, which is understandable. Uh, played competitive TF2 for a long, long time. I've made pretty much every class, played every division. I still suck, but I've also had a couple playoffs placements, so I'm alright. Hmm, that's pretty respectable, okay. So, um, how did you initially get into Team Fortress 2 on a casual level? Uh, so, during high school, there was a guy playing it on the computer lab during lunch break, so I decided, I asked him, hey, what's that hat thing? And he's like, oh, this is like, it's like an FPS game that has trading built in, so I went home and I tried it. And I found a casual server, and I loved the gameplay. Hmm, okay. And Although, I do have a slight confession. I, I played Backburner Pyro exclusively for like three months. What secondary? Oh, Shotgun, of course. Hmm, not even Detonator? No. When was Detonator released, actually? Is that Good one question. of the original weapons? Oh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, man. I, back when I played, some of the items weren't in the game. Uh, when would this be? Uh, let me think. Nine years ago? Yeah, nine years ago. It was 20, hmm. 2013. I think they uh, added Detonator. Yeah, Detonator was released in uh, 2011. The Uber update. Hmm. Thank goodness I have the encyclopedia of TF2 with me. <laughs> uh, you, totally, uh, you totally won't see that I have um, the TF2 site open, the wiki, <laughs> in the VOD. Okay. Yeah, cool. so I did that for a while, like I played casual, I found a 24-7 payload server that I really loved, and then a year or two later, uh, they asked me to play competitive just as like a heavy ringer, and I really loved that because it was actually organized. And something I hadn't realized previously is that payload maps are inherently unbalanced in pubs, whereas in ha having them on stopwatch makes them so much more fun to play. Hmm, okay. Um, do you think, like, what's the biggest example you could think of of like an unbalanced stopwatch map for pubs? Honestly, probably upward because of how stalemate-y last can be. It, like it's it's bad in competitive, but in in pubs, it's virtually unpushable if the, if the red side knows what they're doing. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, do you think there's like a pub map that particularly does well in that regard? For payload, yeah. Honestly, probably Badwater. Although even that's even that is a bit problematic because of the last with the snipers. But in terms of pushability, it's probably the highest. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um. What do you think the best stopwatch for competitive is? Mm, that's a tough one because there's maps that I enjoy, and maps that I think are actually the best. Like I enjoy Swiftwater, but I don't think it's the best. I think Upward is probably the most balanced in terms of all nine classes being able to get involved. Hmm. Okay. Uh, could you think of one that'd be the worst out of the ones you've played so far, like of all time? It doesn't have to be in the current map pool. Uh, oh man, there's a lot. Millstone was particularly bad because a lot of classes could not get involved in certain points. Like pushing Millstone third is just impossible as as like scout or engineer or like basically your your demo is doing the entire job of pushing Millstone third. It's sort of annoying. Okay. Yeah. If, if anybody has never played that, there's a there's a Halloween version you might have played. The mil the regular version is pretty much the same, but without the pumpkins. 
and it's really it's really tough to push because you basically there's a lot of small choke points and there's no room for bombs or anything except on last right and it's like you really want to try to incorporate every class in some shape or form right like make sure everybody in a 9v9 scenario is capable of doing something yeah okay that's definitely fair yeah poor millstone and uh, with millstone like there's a lot of feedback given to the map maker right but they didn't ever really end up wanting wanting to cooperate right like they didn't want to make the changes well the problem is is that when you have a map i've beta tested a lot of maps when you have a map design that you really like as a creator a lot of times the competitive players will come back to you and tell you you're gonna have to redesign the whole thing because it doesn't flow very well that was the case with millstone and map makers really don't want to redesign their map from scratch because that's a lot of work which is like why there's the competitive pool is so stale because designing a map that's actually good for competitive is really tough. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's like it can be really easy to get offset by that yeah effort to kind of come across the wrong way as the map maker. Yeah. And then some of it's also just like genuinely not that constructive. I'd think as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean zero offense to any map makers, but most of them are sort of like a mid-level invite are sort of like a mid-competitive invite... Uh, sorry, stuttering. That's all right. They're a mid-level competitive player. So when invite players come along, they have completely different perspective on what makes a map good. So getting solid playtesting is sort of tough for them. They don't really understand the feedback sometimes. Like when, when an invite player complains about sniper sight lines, they're coming from the perspective that a sniper is going to hit all their shots, where... If a map maker takes a normal map and they have, say, a main sniper do the testing with them, that's a completely different scenario. There's, that sniper's going to have 15-20% lower accuracy. It's not even going to be a problem. Right. It's like really important to just have a sense of that consistency in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And in like the grand scheme, main players are still good players. Like They're better than all the pub players, but it's just it's really tough to design a map that will play well across multiple divisions. Hmm. Right, it's right. Like, it's like the old UGC Plat console who would uh, Plat console who would decide all of who would like decide what map the map pool was going to be. That was partly why that existed is because they had the best they had the best uh, insight into what to play. Hmm. Okay. And is that something you still see nowadays? Like, is there an invite console, or is that sort of something that people no, just think no. about? Now it's just the admins picking. That's one of the that's one of the differences in UGC and RGL is the RGL admins sort of decide things for the community. Hmm. And would you say that's been a good or a negative thing? Or like a more nuanced sort of take? I'm pretty ambivalent about the whole thing. I think the lower level players appreciate the RGL more because in UGC, obviously, if there's a plat console deciding us, like the decisions, the, the lower divisions feel left out of the decision making and that's not a good thing. It doesn't incentivize them to keep playing. Right. Do um do you think RGL usually ends up representing the community well, or do you think it ends up being focused on their own vision of the community? I'm gonna be honest. It's not like neither really. I don't really think any. I don't really think the admins have a vision for the community. They're sort of just keeping it going without making too many drastic changes. Hmm, okay. And like, like the decision making between UGC and RGL is not actually that different. At the end of the day, it's mostly just RGL is a little bit harsher on uh on like racism and stuff like that. Right. Uh, do you think there's a need for more drastic change, or do you think it's something that can kind of be improved by like maintaining a bit of a status quo, as we see now? No. The, and there's nothing that RGL itself can really do to improve the community. 
because the only way to improve the community at this point would be to grow it, which is really difficult to do because there's not really a TFT doesn't have a lot of marketing value to it. You, it's hard to get new players into competitive for a long term. Like there are people, there's people who will try competitive for one or two seasons and dip out. It's very rare that a player will make it from like from like newcomer to main to invite in anything. like it just doesn't happen anymore. Right. Um, do you think there's anything the league themselves can sort of do went to help foster that sense of growth though and to increase the appeal? Honestly, they would need like some sort of official mentoring program, and even that has a pretty low set chance of success because you need to have a dedicated pool of mentors, and you still need a dedicated pool of players to actually take advantage of that. Like, even if even if every invite player started mentoring somebody today, that you would still need players who are willing to take advantage of that. Be- getting really good at TF2 is a serious time commitment, and a lot of players don't really have the time in their lives to do that. Right, like. Like back when I like back when I was in high school, I could easily burn fifteen twenty hours a week on TF two just for improving. Nowadays, I can't do that. I only play scrims mostly. Hmm. I think an important thing to note is like even just starting out in competitive, it's like, like a lot of people could take them like thousands of hours to even start in like the lowest divisions, right? Or like reach a skill peak in casual. And it's like then you have to take a look at that and you have to look at that through a competitive lens, right? Like uh, that that I would disagree with because. If you come in from if you come into TF2 with experience in other FPS games, it drastically boosts your chance of reaching competitive levels. I'm not saying okay, so this is probably a terrible example, but I played I played Call of Duty for a lot before I played TF2, so like being able to aim transferred over. Not necessarily like the, obviously the gameplay is quite a bit different. Right. Okay. But like just this, the tr- the tracking, for example, is a big thing. I started out really being able to track really well on Hitscan, and I only got better. But I had to I had to relearn all the gameplay mechanics, moving games, and also if you if you feel like you're peaking in casual, then TF2 is probably not the game for you because the, going from casual to competitive is a totally different mindset. Like if you if you're doing good in casual, it could just be because the enemy team has no coordination. Hmm. What is in, com- in competitive? You can barely be able to aim, but if you have good coordination, you can hold a lot of teams back. Right. Do you think the same could kind of be applied to uh, to competitive in a sense as well? That, like with that sort of specific phrasing, like due to an enemy team's lack of coordination or like their own weakness, you could do a lot better yourself. Oh, absolutely! Like even even at an invite level, the the lower invite teams occasionally take rounds off the higher invite teams just because they had better coordination in one specific scenario, even though they're a worse team overall. Hmm. Okay. What are the sort of things that can really lead to like us that sort of sense of coordination? Like, how can you develop that? Uh, mostly understanding the mostly understanding like the flow of the map and what the enemy team is going to do in specific scenarios. Like, if you if you know where the enemy the combo and the enemy sniper are going to play, you can try and work around that and get picks and improve your your coordination and take space and then make a push. And also you have to, the biggest thing is that pl- teams will do this, but then they'll feed players because they're not thinking about the, what the enemy team's going to do in response. Like they, they have a plan, but they only have a plan. They don't have any dynamics to the team. Mm. Like you, So Steepy Steel is probably the best example of that, where teams will plan out their A, B, E holds, right? But then the enemy team will be faster at rotating, and if you don't have dynamics, your defense just gets crushed. Right, okay. So, like, do you think maybe people will treat the game a bit too statically from a metagame level? 
Yeah, especially on, I see this a lot on cough uh, maps, actually, where teams, uh, for example, Asheville, teams will sit in the back of their own ramp, or they'll, when they're on defense, or if they're on offense, they'll sit on their own bats. And it's just a ginormous stalemate where neither team does anything exciting, and they just drop players left, right, and center. Right, and that's like, if you're able to take advantage of that on an even, like, basic level, it's like you already get a huge advantage, right? Yeah, it's like if the enemy, it's like if you just, if you just pushed the enemy team from the right location, you would have such a huge advantage in terms of mobility that you would just start winning. But there's teams who will, there's teams who haven't figured out that they have to stop stalemating themselves with bad positioning. And how far, like, do you think that reaches the competitive scene? Like, at what point do you stop seeing that around? Honestly, even up to even like the upper advanced level, you see a lot of teams who will make positional mistakes, and then they until somebody tells them that they're making a mistake, they won't even correct it. Hmm. Because like, let's say you're let's say you're a really good main team, you might beat all the other main teams even though you had subpar positioning, and then you might get to advanced, and you still might take rounds, but until an invite player tells the advanced team that they're doing it wrong, they won't even consider that they're doing it wrong. Right, okay, and so it's like for a while it's fairly easy to just win off your opponent's failures. I, 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 I probably sounded a bit egotistical. I just mean that there's there's a meta, right? Like there's a, The invite players have figured out the meta of how to play the map the best. There's other ways to play the map. The invite player is just like providing the best information. Right. Okay. So the invite like, player doesn't even necessarily have to be better than the advanced players. The invite player just has to know the meta. So it's definitely important to just have a few people kind of like who help mentor those teams. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's players who will watch VOD after VOD, but they won't. They won't actually soak in the information. They won't take the time to sit down with a higher level player and actually discuss anything. Like I. I'm not actually good at TF2, but I do understand it. So what I'll do is I'll go, I'll go to teams or even my own team, and I'll tell them, okay, so here's what the here's what the top level teams are doing. This is why we need to push shutter instead of bats because if we push off bats, we're getting stuffed by their demo on crates, that sort of thing. Hmm, okay, and it can be like really hard to just take a step back and realize that for yourself, especially if you're having success with it. In spite of that, yeah. Yeah, to like understand the reasoning of why pushing bats is bad, rather than just hearing that pushing bats is bad is sort of difficult. Right, and that's something maybe you see in like lower devs that kind of ends up being a plateau for a bit, right? Like people just not finding out that this thing is sort of bad to do, and just kind of going with it for as long as it could beat worse players, and then they kind of stagnate when it comes down to like learning principles that work well against better players. Yeah. Well, sort of, yeah. They they stagnate, but not because of that specifically. It's because they don't have the time to invest in in make. Like it takes time to learn these things. You can't learn to you can't learn a single map even in a weekend or even in a, a full. Like it takes time to build this knowledge in the back of your mind. Right. If if you spend if you spend all of your brain cells thinking about your positioning, you're not gonna have any left over to hit the enemy gamers when they walk at you. Mm, I should think about that. <laughs> Damn. Okay. That's, wh that's why that's why I sort of like have a love hate relationship with playing demo is because you have to be you have to constantly be thinking about what you're doing, what your team is doing, main calling, and hitting your shots. And I uh, I can only do three out of four, unfortunately. <laughs> have you tried uh, hiring an assistant to kind of do the main calling for you? That's what the that's that's the beauty of the top level invite teams is that there's not one particular main caller. There's everybody everybody's contributing to calls at the exact 
rate times. That way, the enemy. That way, the demo on your team isn't fully loaded all the time. Hmm. Okay. And then, and then like, that, sorry. That's that's like why. I don't know. It's almost like the the better the team that I'm playing for, the more enjoyable TF2 is because it that that sense of coordination is just there by default. Playing for, playing for an advanced team is actually less fun than invite, honestly. Right. Okay. But it ta- it takes a lot of practice to get there. Like getting to invite in the first place is difficult. Uh, do you have any specific advice like for people to kind of like build that sense of coordination and to not have it be reliant on one sort of person as much? Like, how do you get to that point? Yeah. So what I, if you're in a lower division, like uh, main, advanced, even lower than that, newcomer, amateur, what I would do is I would d- take scrims that you you had you exchanged rounds with the enemy team, look at your mistakes, and then ha- find a demo file of a of a team in a higher division and look at what they did in comparison. And try to incorporate their strategies, like their positioning, into your own gameplay, and that'll help you the most. Although, obviously, if you're just if you're just like a player who's missing their shots completely, then obviously you just need to upgrade your uh, your equipment and stuff. Right. But yeah, that's, that's usually not the case. Most player most players can reach like a mid level competitive with like sixty hertz monitors. Hmm. Like that's like equipment is rarely an issue even these days. Right, like. It's not something that's usually that detrimental, but can kind of enhance already good players, right? Yeah, if I hate, yeah, if you're not, if you're, you're buying 144 hertz is not going to make you invite overnight, no matter, uh, even if you're advanced. It's, it's <laughs> people say it's worth a full division jump, but it's actually not. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it's worth it for the player ranking sheets, though, huh? Yeah, maybe. Okay, that's definitely fair. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, do you think that pug groups or anything like that end up like helping contribute to that sense? Like, do they make people kind of learn coordination, or is it sort of no, like unproductive? No, not any pug groups that I've played, especially in recent memory, because in a lot of pugs, what you'll have is a very diverse range of skill, and you'll have players who are who straight up troll. So it's hard to learn from pugs as a as a lower level player because you don't know if the players you're playing with are following the meta or if they're just fucking around also high level players can inherently get away with a little bit of trolling because they're playing lower level players but it's like it doesn't end up being productive to sort of have to learn how to coordinate for yourself due to like a lack of people wanting like being able to or wanting to coordinate like it doesn't help in that sense no not really because the problem is is that as a lower level player you you may not even recognize if what your team is doing is actually correct if you, like if what if what if you what if you win but you didn't play correctly that's not a learning experience that's just you learning bad habits at that point right okay it can be the best way to learn on is just from your own matches and scrims against teams who are legitimately trying like 95% of the time so why do you think pugs end up going the way they do like why do so many people just like troll and treat it like that because at the end of the day, it's just a pickup game. It's just uh, it's just a bit of casual at a higher level. Hmm. Okay. Pugs, pugs in TF2 Center have never been that serious. Like, it's it's literally just to practice your DM, basically. If right. you have bad if you have bad DM and you want to improve, by all means, play pugs all, your whole life. That you'll get good DM eventually. Hmm. Okay. I think pug I think pugs are better for learning DM than they are than like an aim trainer is actually. Right, it's like you're you're playing pyre. What are you gonna learn from an aim trainer? <laughs> oh yeah, especially on uh, the projectile classes. <laughs> right, those as well. Okay, yeah, it's definitely fair.
Um, okay. Do you think it's something that can be like sort of improved if like a league does pugs, like for instance RGL with their pugs? Do you think that helps when it comes to the seriousness of it or not really? Like is it more of an inherent issue? No, because even RGL pugs don't crack down on... Uh... Basically, in order for pugs to be really good, the pug runner has to control the, the, the level of the teams. Like, somebody would have to go in and manually balance the teams in order for pugs to actually be a viable thing. And even then, you would have to ban people who troll, and then that kills the pug group. Right, right. Probably the best pugs have been HL pugs, but the, the reason for that is because the invite players were in charge, and they were always picking fellow invite players, so every pug was super serious. There's, and then that, that site killed itself, obviously, because even within invite, there's drama and people who won't pug with other players. Right. Okay, so um, that's definitely fair. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice to like prospective main callers, like, or for like lower div teams, like when it comes to sort of determining main callers, like what sort of things are they looking for? Is it like, are you looking for certain personality elements slash aspects? Like, what's the mental like there? Yeah, you need to have somebody who keeps their cool under pressure and who understands that the individual frags are less important than the overall positioning and planning of the team like at, like what you want what you want when there's not a fight occurring is you want positioning calls and a plan and then when the fight's occurring you want focus calls and then every on top of that you, you as a main caller it's not just enough to call in the moment you also have to you also have to teach your team the meta that way if you're not calling they still know they still have a they still have a sense of what to do Right. Okay. Like, if you if you went silent for thirty seconds, would your team fuck up? Because if they're gonna fuck up whenever you stop talking, that's not gonna work out for you in the long run. Uh, do you think there's like benefit to having like a designated secondary caller, so to try and pick up for the slack if you for some reason aren't talking or if you're down for a bit and don't have a good picture of things? Well, there doesn't really need to be a designated second caller. There should you should always try and just have players call the stuff that's important to them. You should have your spy, for example, calling what the enemy combo is doing where the sniper is going to peek, your soldier and scout should be calling when they're taking flanks with the enemy, fights with the enemy flank. Your sniper should tell you when he needs a buff, that sort of stuff. Like, just each class following the basics, that should, that should be your secondary caller, so to speak. Right, okay. And it's like, usually people either like don't call at all, or they just do general sort of calls instead of communicating what they as a class can. Was that what, would you say that's maybe where people go wrong? Yeah, people who don't call the stuff that's irrelevant to their class, or they'll start, or the worst is calling stuff that's not relevant to their class. Like uh, medics calling when to push is sort of a terrible thing. Oh yeah. You, you, well, yeah, you don't want because if your medic has to call when to push, that means obviously that your medic has to play more aggressive in order to have that that vision on the space, and you don't want that. You always, that's why you always want your demo to be this quote-unquote main caller so that that doesn't happen to your medic. Right. So it's like, you really gotta make use of the whole team aspect of Team Fortress 2 Highlander, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like having nine players is relevant. Yeah, and do you think that's something that ends up being a bit different from something like 6 versus 6 or so, due to like the differences in classes? Oh, absolutely, but it's not even the difference in classes so much, it's the difference in map layout that 6's players prefer. 5CP is, is, has a very different flow to it than Koth and Payload, and it just makes it so that you, having, having a singular main caller is sort of hard on 5CP because the maps are larger. 
there's there's more going on across the map. Like obviously on on teams like Froyotech, you'll have you'll have players who can who main call, but they're not micromanaging. They're just making directional calls. Right. Whereas in Highlander, it's things are more close or like tight knit. You got players who are focusing on one objective all the time. It makes it a, it makes it a lot easier to manage a team. Hmm. So when main calling, it feels like micro and macro get ter- thrown around as terms a decent bit, right? Just like up like the underlying theories and principles. Yeah. I guess, although most people like I don't, most people don't refer to it that way. I just how I mm. refer to it. Do you think like under that framework that it could be beneficial for like people who might be interested in main calling to just like practice art real time strategy games? Like, would that sort of help? improve their ability to focus on the bigger picture in that sense uh i don't know about that because you'd have to fi- you'd have to find a game that's actually relevant to tf2 in terms of strategy hmm. but you don't think it's the sort of thing where it's just like getting used to that sort of principle like even if it's not the same strategy just getting used to the methodology of that and sort of how to organize it you don't well, think that could be useful uh yeah honestly you just have to you have to keep a clear head under pressure you like an rts probably wouldn't teach you that Real right. life situations would probably be more likely to teach you that. Honestly, <laughs> real life MGE fight alleyway. I'm going to be honest. Your uh, your uh, gym class capture the flag may be more relevant than playing StarCraft. <laughs> I see. I see. So uh, your practice routine looks something like maybe some gym fights. You know, uh, I I maybe a few RTSs, maybe a few StarCraft games here and there, but uh, the majority uh, gym battles. Yeah. Uh sure, but no. That was that was complete sarcasm. The only practice routine for being good at TF2 is TF2, in my opinion. I feel betrayed. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like that's reasonable, yeah. It's like, again, kind of going back to the AIM trainer, like, as an example, yeah. It, it really doesn't, tr- like, teach you the underlying mechanics and principles and gameplay dynamics, yeah. And it's like, you don't want to try and like, represent something that isn't Team Fortress 2 as Team Fortress 2. Yeah, unless you play Sniper, in which case, go nuts with your fucking Kovacs AIM trainer and make <laughs> you scared all the time. True, okay. Um, so I think I do want to go back to your own competitive history and focus on that for a little bit, yeah? A bit more about sure. you. I definitely do like hearing all that community stuff from you, though. I think, like, it's not really like something I've covered yet. I think it's really interesting to hear, for sure. Um, okay. So, yeah, what did you kind of start off with doing in competitive? So, I started off just, like, playing, a, a occasionally ringing heavy here and there, and I very quickly decided that I liked it, so what I did is I, I think I... If I remember correctly, because I, I may not, I think I played heavy in iron for a season, and then I immediately after that I jumped to steel, and then I jumped to silver, and then I sort of switched classes a bit. Like I played some engineer, I played, I played some medic, and then around after a couple seasons of silver, I rostered for a team called New Generation Crew. Shout out to Poppy Yeezus. Uh, we sort of ended up in that there was this weird era where UGC mixed silver and gold playoffs. So we ended up playing sort of gold, quote unquote, for two seasons. And then at, shortly after that, I took a break. And then when I came back, it was sort of the RGL era. And then that was when I transitioned to playing like invite and advanced, like upper level advanced, I should say. Right. Okay. And was this like, how was the player base back then? Was there like a different sort of like culture at all? No, the culture was pretty similar. There was just a, there were just more players back then. Like how many more? What do you say? Uh, I'm not. I don't know the statistics. I'm gonna guess double. Wow. Because like if if that's what it felt like, like silver had a silver and steel had a lot of teams. 
and obviously uh, going going back even farther than when I played, like I came into the scene like 2012, 2013, going back even two years past that, like season eight, I think season seven, there was a lot of plat and gold teams. Like the competitive scene back then used to be huge when TFT was still receiving updates. Okay. Uh, what was the meta like back then? Like, what was the game like back then as a whole, I guess? Like, just from a competitive level? Uh, honestly, the meta hasn't changed a whole bunch. I will say that the modern-day hitscan classes have gotten a lot better in general. Like, in Highlander, you'll see a lot more scouts making big plays these days, taking beam. Uh, the map pool is probably the biggest change rather than the gameplay. A lot of the maps that we used to play, a lot of like Barn Blitz, Badwater, even Ram Jam, those are all gone. Uh, also, the 5 CP is gone entirely. If you mm. miss Gullywash, you're messed up. <laughs> How about Process? Process wasn't too bad unless you played Heavy. That was terrible. Hmm. So do you think Process, for instance, could still maybe have a place on the map pool? No, it's way too slow to play in Highlander. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's... I definitely enjoy process, but I enjoy it as a sixes player, which I don't. I don't often play sixes. The uh, game master level threes really do a number on you in Highlander, huh? What the level three centuries? Yeah, just in random spots, like on the high grounds on the roofs. Nah, that doesn't really bother me because that's if random sentry locations, you can just hear them around corners with you have good headphones. Then your soldier <laughs> can just spam them. That's fair. Uh, st stealthy sentry spots don't really work, to be honest. Uh, so, were there any maps from back then that you sort of like regret that aren't that like? Do you regret that any of the maps back then like aren't played anymore? Do you think there's enough diversity in the modern map pool? Uh, I definitely miss Badwater, especially the pro version. I think that's I think to, even today that would still be a viable map. Maybe some changes on third be required. I think Ram Jam could, should be given a second chance if it has some reworks to reduce the sniper sight lines. Right, like, uh, I was just thinking of there was a there was another payload map that wasn't Millstone. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, I have to come back to that. I I'm gonna guess it's not Borneo. No, it wasn't Borneo. Borneo was I don't didn't really like Borneo because first was really open, then second was really enclosed. Like it, it alternated between open and closed, which is sort of a weird play style. It felt like depending on what class you played, it felt like you were useless precisely half the time. Hmm. Okay. I feel I feel like maps should have a consistent flow from point to point. Whereas like a map like Borneo, as a soldier, you don't really feel useful on second, for example. Because everybody's always looking for the bomb. I don't know. I just I just don't like Borneo. Also, all the engineers love to try cheeky sentry spots, which is just so annoying to push against. <laughs> Engineer means. Okay. Um. How about the modern map pool? Do you think there's any maps that like shouldn't be played anymore? And how do you feel about Lakeside and Cascade switching over and over again? I'm uh, gonna be honest. I think the new Cascade redesign is a sort of a step sideways. I don't think it's actually improved over the over RC1A. I think RC1A probably should have stayed. Or had just minor changes rather than a major overhaul like it did. Okay. Uh, Lakeside, Lakeside I actually do like, but I understand why players hate it because the sniper advantage is just obscene if your flank doesn't kill the, if your flank's not really good. Okay. 
so you think like Cascade RC one uh, I should just be like the 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 other Koth map option basically? Yeah, I think alternating Cascade and Lakeside was a reasonable was a reasonable compromise because I had, like. Although, honestly, if I had my way, if I was an admin, what I would do is I would give teams a choice of which map to play. Oh, yeah, that'd be super interesting. Yeah, I think that could, like, really reinvigorate interest. Although that would be... I can imagine the admins would want to... would not like that, because then they would have teams arguing about which map to play. <laughs> True. Maybe they could hire somebody to do it for them. Well, are, there's no money in RGL to hire somebody. That's true, that's true. Alright. They would just triple their workload overnight for no reason. I, w I, well, I do wish I do wish the invite teams at least could pick their what map they get to play. Right, like I think that's something. Maybe you saw with older seasons. I don't, I'm not actually that familiar, but definitely with other formats, some of the time it's like they'd just be allowed to pick their maps each week. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a th it's it's occasionally been a thing, but it's never been it's never been a mainstream choice because it means it just means extra work. And most and most teams honestly don't care that much about the map rotation. Like players will fill out their surveys and they'll bitch about what map they're gonna play, but at the end of the day they'll still play it. Right. And it's like especially if you're an unpaid volunteer, it's like No no these days nobody will give you a forfeit win just because they don't like a map. Every team will fight. So what would your ideal map pool be? Just kind of like all the staple maps, like with Cascade um as the third cloth or like what do you see as something different? Like, what do you want Ram Jam, or, uh, Badwater, and if so, what would you replace? Uh, okay, well, the, the reason I think the reason why Ram, Ram Jam got discontinued is because I wouldn't substitute it for any of the existing cough maps. That's probably the biggest problem with it. It's not better than any of them. Right. I would probably, I'd probably put Badwater into the season, and I might take Swiftwater out. And I might probably take out Lakeside, and I might try... Might try Ram Jam for a season to see how it does. Spicy, but then I might I might put then if it doesn't go well I would put it I would reverse those those choices. I think um what at least from Ultra like what I'd usually get here thrown around is like that Ram Jam was fun but then it got solved and then there was just like no point to playing it or something. Yeah, well when the map, I guess a map could be solved per se. The biggest problem was really the sniper sightlines. I think, like. If also the amount of space that there was to jump on that map with with the introduction of the jetpack for Pyro, my oh god, god, that was annoying. I I think I stopped having fun when that happened. Man, I should have played Pyro back then. I should have played back then. Would have had a field day. Although Ram Jam for Ram Jam for heavy for some reason is surprisingly fun. That map is like that map is a serious heavy map if you know how to corner peek properly. <laughs> All right, so um. It seems like you have a lot of thoughts on just like the map pool of community as a whole. Have you ever sort of like considered applying to be an RGL admin? Uh, no, I don't really want to spend that kind of time. Like, I'm not that invested in TF2. Or like, occasionally I'll help with like testing a map, or or I'll like look through a demo file to help like I'll like mentor players. But I don't have the I don't consistently have the free time to be an admin. Right, that's definitely fair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you feel like it's like have you been able to, regardless, like, talk to RGL, like, have a clear live communication, sort of get that perspective out there and sort of share that sentiment with them, see what they think about it, or not really? Honestly, I've never really felt the need. Like, there's, I rarely have any conflicts with other players or, or like, 
serious feedback. I don't think RGL makes any major mistakes. Okay. I, I mean, they'll make there's like controversial like bands and stuff like that, but there's always been controversy around that sort of stuff. I don't really read much into it. I was going more along the lines of just your sentiments on like the whole maps thing, like uh, the uh, invite maps, like a uh, selection choice thing. Yeah. Oh, well, the thing is, is that I'm at the end of the day, I'm just one player, and every player is going to have a different opinion. They're not going to take my feedback any more seriously than any other invite player or advanced player. That's fair. It's, yeah. it's, it's debatable whether I'm even an invite, invite player. Let's be honest. <laughs> Do you think there'd be a benefit to just like more sort of dialogue? They're like showing the RG elements, like why it's a good and a bad thing, kind of like just having more collective community dialogue on it, or is that something that was already done a lot back in the day that isn't needed anymore? No, it's really hard to get organized feedback like that because the only way to do it is to get like is to get like seventeen players in a server, run some serious pugs, get feedback, and then decide. And honestly, that's a big that's a big investment of time, and it usually doesn't result in anything. Right. So was that something UGC kind of had up on RGL, like the whole plat council thing, just being able to push through those sorts of decisions and changes? Uh maybe. I I wouldn't I was never a part of the plat console, so I couldn't say right. for certain. I feel like it's just this mythical thing, like it gets mentioned every few interviews, but then it's like nobody actually knows. <laughs> it, it was it was definitely a thing, but it was way less serious. Like I uh, I, know, I, I, I knew some people on it. It was it was way less serious than people make it out to be. It was literally it was literally just stuff like, okay, well, this map is not great, we should play this map instead. It was nothing major. Right. There was no there was no behind the scenes match fixing or any like anything like that. Okay. Uh do you have any thoughts in like UGC at an administrative level, like on how they handle anything? Uh no. They did a pretty good job overall. The biggest problem was honestly just the fact that they didn't seem to care a lot towards the end. They like right. they they weren't invested in actually in actually hammering down on players who misbehaved. So when RGL when RGL stepped in, everybody pretty much made the switch immediately, just because it was the it was the better platform and it was ran by somebody who was trusted in the community. Hmm. Right, but even then, it's like you still saw a bit of a split, right? Like a, a lot of older legacy teams kind of like die or like people splitting off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Although most of the teams just transferred clean over. Hmm. I see. It's kind of interesting because it's like like, some... like, team, like teams split up, but there was it was only natural splitting. Like they would have split like teams that would have split anyways if UGC was still a thing. Right. So you don't think it like catalyst to, to that at all? Hmm. You don't think that served as like a catalyst for that at all? Like it was just a natural thing anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the league switch really changed much in the community sense. Okay. RGL does a better job of of management, but they like the actual it has no real effect on like the map pool or anything. Right. Um, are there any big like are there any community initiatives that you think RGL would like benefit from taking like things that you think RGL would really benefit from doing going forward? Mm, well, they could try bringing back they should could try bringing back quote unquote summer seasons so that we could actually do map tests. Mm, okay. How about like map cups and whatnot, like the side cups, class wars, region wars, the map ones? I guess that's I guess it's sort of the same thing, but the reason. I specifically call it a summer season because when you call it an actual season and give players like first place medals, it, 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 it there's this mindset where that's different from a cup. Players will play harder in a season than they will a cup for some reason. I don't quite understand, right. but 
if you if you even if you call it like a four or five week season like just a quick off season for testing a couple maps that it seems to make more of a difference right okay and was that something ugc sort of did like their summer seasons like just testing out different maps back then yeah that didn't, it didn't happen very often but when it did i, I enjoyed this i enjoyed the summer seasons i played that's definitely fair uh how do you feel about the like the length of the season do you think there's enough weeks in the regular season or do you think there'd be benefit from like more weeks and more maps being played no i think i think the season length is fine right now and also you can't really make the seasons longer because there's not enough teams to do that you don't have to double up teams right okay so it's like which causes a problem with the scoring because if a team beat if a team got the victory the first time around there's a decent chance they'll get the victory the second time around which means you're inherently giving the team that's winning like sort of an extra point almost like a like maybe a second or half point you get what i'm saying the stronger team is going to have an advantage going into the second match anyways yeah so like the longer seasons in the past were more sort of like a product of their time kind of yeah having more having more teams i think hmm, okay and how do you feel about like the remaining teams and players do you think they still like care as much like are they still as out of caring and involved about the community about like competitive or do you think that is something that's sort of fallen off since the earlier days well the players that are left still care equally like there's just fewer players overall also the also the very upper echelon of players is the the skill level has declined slightly because naturally with with no updates and no money in the prize pool, players who are who are at the very top don't really have an incentive to keep playing. Right. Okay. I think I think the mid level and entry level competitive TF two is just is like still vibrant and still worth playing for anybody looking to get into it. You just gotta temper your expectations that an invite may not be something you're ever gonna reach. Right. And honestly it's not it's not like some it's not it's not glamorous or gonna make you a bunch of money either way. Alright, so how do you feel about the RGL prize pool? What prize pool? <laughs> like, no, Mike, like, so, uh, I, I'm i gonna have this one, this one will go after the, uh, like, before the Arcadia one, but, like, something that we sort of mentioned there was just the idea of, like, the the current prize pools, like, they aren't really that much of an incentive anyway, it's like, you know, like, just barely being able to get, like, what you invested anyway, so it's like, the idea that was sort of thrown around there was just, like, instead of just having those sort of, like, token incentives that I don't think, that we don't, didn't really think drew people in, like, maybe actually having, like, paid staff or something, like, offering incentives to the staff, kind of, think that's yeah. something that would have benefit? Yeah, but you have the chicken and egg problem, in order to, in order to pay the staff, in order to offer better prize pools, you need income, which means you either charge the players a higher entry fee, which kills your league, or you get sponsors, which requires more players in the first place. So mm-hmm. there's not really a good way to make it work. Right. The biggest, I think, the biggest problem is that they is that they act like the prize pool actually matters. I think if honestly, I would just get rid of the prize pool so that more people would just play. Right. Okay. I don't think I don't think the prize pool like even if you win invite, I think winning invite is only like a invite Highlander anyways is only like a hundred and fifty dollars a player or something like that. Like it, it's it's not a substantial amount. You're making you're making like ten dollars a match or whatever. Right, and that's over invite. the course of months. Yeah. You're like you're making a substantially less than minimum wage even if you're winning your league. It just the prize pool at the end of the day, it's it's like nice to have and I admire that RGL tries to do it. But I don't think it matters. 
Right, okay. And it's just like maybe it even has a detrimental effect of just like making people have to pay, so maybe like there's less interest in the top level of the game? Uh, the, in, the reduction in interest isn't that much. Because the entry at the same the the inverse also applies to the entry fees. The entry fees are pretty low, so it doesn't really deter most players. Right. Okay. And that's like the issue is that like unless somebody like Sigavu somebody pays it out of their pocket or like they get community sponsors, like the current money that is used from prize pools is generated from like the the yeah. the fees, right? And it's like people there, want to just been, there have been sponsors in the past. I even got a little bit of money myself for the one season that I placed. But the sponsors, the sponsorships are also fairly low in terms of the amount. It's like it's like one or two thousand dollars. They're small sponsorships, right? And it's like if you're trying, like I don't think people would want to be paying league fees, like if there's no prize pool, right? Like I mean, it's like yeah, it would benefit the league, like if they actually have care, like paid admins. But I don't think that people would really see it that way as much. Yeah, like they'd just be like, what are we paying for here? Yeah. Honestly, okay. I would be I would be totally okay if invites still cost like three dollars a season and the admins actually got paid a little bit for their time. <laughs> but I understand that players want that the prize pool instead. I th I think the prize pool should just be abolished. The below minimum wage prize pool. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I, yeah. I, feel I, think, like... I think sixes is substantially more. Like sixes is a couple thousand dollars. Right. And also, you're you're splitting it a few a couple fewer ways, so it's like. I, I think I imagine like somebody like Banny probably makes like at least a thousand dollars over the course of a season, which is still not a lot, but it's something. Right. I feel like I just kind of it is a bit of a joke, but like phrasing it that way specifically, like the below minimum wage prize pool. It's like I feel like it really just kind of puts it into perspective, right? Like who is going to be playing for that? <laughs> like at least for Highland. The only re you play you play TF2 for fun. There's no there's no playing TF2 for money, and there never really has been. Right. TF2 has always been a game of passion and just enjoying, enjoying like exploring the nine classes. Right, and it's like if you if you give admins some financial incentives, like you see a lot more of the passion on the side of RGL, which can sort of like go back and help the community as well. I think in a sense, yeah. Well, I don't want to be honest. Even if the admins, even if the admins were paid like thirty dollars an hour, I don't really see how that would actually help the community. I just think they deserve something for their time. Hmm. Well, I don't. I don't think having highly motivated admins would actually improve the league that much because there's really not a whole lot to improve. Hmm. They're they're not making any major mistakes as far as I can see. I was talking more on like a personal level. It's like somebody like Maven. I don't know, like just various members of the staff team. Like how they like are kind of split between like it as a passive project, but then the time investment and not oh, yeah. getting anything I out mean, of it. I mean, now that I think about it, I mean maybe if you maybe if you were able to pay a dedicated pug runner and a dedicated anti cheat person. Right and like a de and a dedicated uh, team manager role, like maybe that would help the league in terms of like like having dedicated servers and stuff like that. At the end of the day, that it wouldn't really change a whole lot. Hmm. They could they could use the money in a positive way. I just don't think it would be. I don't think it would be league changing. Right. T right. TF2 TF2 would not have a second rena renaissance era. <laughs> even even though it sort of deserves one, I just wish. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid my Valve rant, okay? Ah, uh, no, be my guest. Oh, okay. It's topical. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck Valve is doing. They they make obscene amounts of money off of TF2. Hello, Val hello, Manco Store. Hello, Keys. Could you please just drop a bug fix update? Thank you. I would love it if I could play. Ca I haven't played casual in like eight months because there's fucking bots on every single server. It's an Uncle Topia. It's oh yeah. 
just like holy shit could you update vac please just once there there is literally the cat hook code for like all the bots that are running cat hook the code is on github if you just added that to vac you would get rid of like 90 percent of the bots for six months i don't know why they're so I mean, I've looked at the TF2 code, and it's it's a fucking mess. But it's a fixable mess. They don't have to they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They just have to do maintenance. Right. Like once they give us those basic tools and infrastructure, like once they kind of stem the bleeding, like we as a community can solve most of it as we have already, right? But it's like we really can't deal with the bot problem that well. Well, we can't do bug fixes, and we can't deal with bots, and we can't. We can't. We don't have. We can't add official maps to the pool the way Valve can either. Right. And it's so like. Would, sorry. Go ahead. No. No. You go ahead. My bad. It's just. I think there's. If If I remember correctly, if I read this correctly, Valve has this culture where Valve members are allowed to work on whatever project they want within reason, and I don't think anybody at Valve wants to work on TF2, which is really sad. Oh. Uh I. W I wish somebody at Valve was specifically hired just to maintain TF2. One person could probably do an okay job if like, they knew the code base. You are correct in that, like at least if everybody is to believe, like, but there is a something even further than that as elaboration. Like uh, employees get peer reviewed at the end, like at the end of so, like quarters or whatever, and it's like something like Team Fortress Two isn't valued as much as like what the narrative is. So it's like even if people do care and want to work on it, it's like it could lead to pay deduction or getting fired, or at least that's what like the public sentiment is if you look on comments. Uh, Valve employees get peer reviewed, that's actually sort of disgusting to be honest. Honestly because that means that means nobody ever has incentive to work on TF2 if that's true. Yeah. Honestly I feel like it could I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like it would make sense, yeah. I, I, I'd, be, I'd be interested in talking to uh, like Pazer or Banny, who I know have both been to. I'm pretty sure both of those both of those guys have been to Valve at some point. Yeah, I haven't talked to Pazer in a while. I should probably see what he's up to. I don't know. It's fairly possible. It's just hearsay, but it's just interesting to hear. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we've talked a lot, a lot about like the leagues. Sort of. Uh, we've focused on that for a bit. What do you think we as a community could do? Like, what's something we could improve on? How could we sort of help things out? Uh. Well, for one, we could do if there was a if there was a pug group system where it was actually pugs on a per skill level basis, that'd be cool. Like if there was, if there was like a, if like for every two divisions there was a pug group, that way the advanced and invite players could have their pugs, and then the intermediate players could have their pugs, and then beginners could have their pugs. And then mm -hmm. there, and then there was like an official mentoring system that'd be sort of cool. Right. But that again, this all it ties back to the whole having money and organization. Like it costs time and money to do these things correctly. Well, I mean, Kixley has a lot of money and code, and it's like putting a lot of time into that, and they're doing their pug group. Though there are some sort of community concerns they need to address, which I'll be covering in future videos before that. But that could be interesting. I think like Coden has a lot of financial abilities. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. It's it's sort of. It's sort of even if you do everything right, there's still a fifty percent chance it, it fails. Like HL Pugs was like sort of like the optimal invite pug site, and that still died. Right. Uh, but like it's a it's a chicken and egg problem where you need to you need a player base of hundreds of puggers in order to successfully run pugs on a regular basis. If you if you only have fifty or sixty players online, you don't have a consistent pug system. That's like the, that's the TF2 Center's current problem. Right. They're not. They're not. Uh, nobody's online. Therefore, nobody plays. It's like sometimes you'll get ones that are like really good and competitive, but then other times you have like total trolls, like who, yeah, do random stuff. Yeah, I, I stopped that up to TFT Center a long time ago. Yeah, it's just like 
I don't know. It's the sort of thing where it's kind of fine, like, you know, if you're in the mood for it, if you're expecting it, but then if, if you don't know what to expect, it's hard to actually have a vested interest in it either way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I, like, I know what to expect if I play a TF2 center, and I still don't want to do it because there is, uh, there's just really no reason to. That's fair, yeah. Uh, how about on like a smaller data scale, just as like players, not as like not through like community groups, like oh, what, like what what can individual players do? Yeah, I'm, like uh, I I have what like cover both of those. Yes, it's like let's move on to the individual part now. Okay, well, obviously, number one is pretty obvious. You could be a little bit nicer to each other. Even I suffer from that problem sometimes. Say the second thing would be to find players who are receptive to mentoring and giving them an hour or two of your time to demo review with them. I find that team. I find that players who are sort of like who are sort of like stagnated just a little bit in a division lower than me. If you mentor them, often like I've seen players who I've mentored actually come up to the same division as me. Like, like if you find a player who actually wants to improve and you give them some of your time to improve, they will do that. Hmm. Okay. And do you think there'd be benefit like? On sort of like community groups that sort of focus on this and that like try and do collaborative mentoring stuff like the old round tables for instance as well like do you think there'd be benefit for that yeah i think there would be uh i know that there's i know there's a been a couple what are they called the sixes newbie cup i think there's been a couple yeah. of those i think those have been reasonably successful it'd be cool to do one of those for highlander i agree yeah um okay although highland Highlander, for even though it's only thirty three percent more players, it's two hundred percent more of a clusterfuck for some reason when doing scheduling. <laughs> I yeah. do not, I do not understand why there's this mentality of players taking three decades to get in the server. Something even weirder, right, is that take sixty six. Like, there's a lot more variance with scrims, like on the day to day basis, or in other regions, for instance. But then in North America, like for Highlander, it's, it's literally just like the same three days, maybe four if you're in a lower division or doing pug scrims at the same two times. But then it's like, you'll still have people just randomly like baiting or not being able to show up without telling you in advance. And it's just like, how does that happen? It's a mentality thing. It's Sixes has always been considered the more serious game mode. And Highlander is, I, like, I know it's only six hours a week, but for a lot of the players who are still playing... Like a lot of the a lot of the advanced invite players now are like twenty plus. They have jobs or college and like a life, so they six hours a week is still like a serious commitment to them. Hmm, they can't fair. they can't always make that six hour commitment. I guess I'm thinking I don't know. I might be thinking more back to like the like the UGC days, kind of like season nineteen iron, season twenty steel, like of how like these younger people are like people who who like who just have the most random reasons for not being able to show up or only be able to or only like communicating or finding out last minute. It's just just life, man. People don't take TF2 that seriously, especially in the lower divisions. That's and, then the up, and then the upper divisions, some of them can't afford to take it that seriously. They got their lives. <laughs> yeah. I, don't it, I don't hold it against any of them. The, uh, the below minimum wage prize pool ain't really su sustaining their life, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Uh, do you have any like, thoughts or interactions that you've had like with RGL stuff? Uh, no, I never really had any... Sorry, my dogs are barking. No, that's all right. Uh, we never... can take a break if you need to. No, they're just barking at somebody knocking on my door. It'll be fun. Oh, okay. I was, try I was trying to noise cancellation. Uh, no, I've not really had any problems with RGL admins or, like, any players that I would need to report. How about in, like, a positive sense? Uh, well, I've interacted with some of them as, like, teammates. Like, okay, shout out to Michael Lele for being an amazing spy and, like, a good team leader. That's, that's my only feedback in admins at the moment. 
Hmm, I see. That, that I think that dude quit being an RGL admin because it was just a whole bunch of work for like no benefit. Yeah. You think minimum wage prize pools are a, are a bummer? Wait till you see the no wage admins. Oh yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Honestly, I had my fair share like with just the pug group with doing pug maybe, groups. Maybe that's why Micah was such a good spy. Is he would he like vent his frustration with being an admin on the enemy team? Wait, maybe that's maybe is maybe that's a meta strat if you want to get if you want to improve at TF2. <laughs> It's oh, it's secret tech. Holy shit! Possibly, possibly, we'll have to do a we'll have to do an in depth study. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll do some psychological evaluations. You know, I'll do some player interviews. No, <laughs> I got some no. spicy ones coming up. No, you're thinking of this all wrong. The modern day way to do this is you put is you put all the logs have ever existed on logs that TF through a machine learning algorithm and compare it to the staff to the staff rankings. <laughs> true, true. Okay, so um. Did your interactions with Micah like change at all once you became an admin, or is it still sort of like, or like, was it like he's still a teammate, no, he, still the same person, still same person? He didn't change. He just got more frustrated when he was dealing with admin shit. Right. And do you think maybe that's like that's why he was a that's why he was a good ma good admin. He was able to disconnect the playing TF2 from the managing TF2 aspect. Hmm. Do you think that's something that like usually gets misrepresented in the community? Like, do you feel like usually like like people start to treat uh, uh, admins than differently than as just people? Uh, in a sense, yeah. People see admins as this sort of um, this like in, this like intangible, arbitrary rule maker, rather than somebody who's just there to actually like enforce the no asshole policy. That's why that's uh, RGL has like this thirty thirty rule book, whatever, like thirty rules they have to follow. At the end of the day, it's like it, it could be summed up as don't be an asshole, and some people just cannot follow that for save their lives. I don't understand. Right. Okay, and then do you think maybe like sometimes RGO like looks at stuff like TFTV or just like community groups and they're like kind of the same in response? Like, do you think there's some mutual lack of trust there? What do you mean? Like, do you think RGO looks at certain groups and are like, do you think they kind of end up treating them as a collective rather than individuals as well when it comes to just like community things? Oh, you mean like lumping all the TF TF forum users into one category? Yeah, do you think that's something RGL does in response? No, I don't think I don't think they're that outrageous. I think they understand that players are individuals. Okay, yeah. So it really, just does come down a lot to like just sort of how the players perceive. They're, they're not gonna they're not gonna lump you into a group just for posting something stupid in the forums. But if you if you say something offensive to another person, you're definitely gonna end up on their radar. The RGL watch list. <laughs> uh, I'm not. Yeah, there is a watch list. <laughs> Understandable. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if there's like an official like Google spreadsheet or something, but I do know that admins like in the back of their mind they know who to keep an eye on. Like all I'm saying is when I ran pugs, I I had a huge watch list. <laughs> if that if that if that goes to representative, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's probably a lot of overlap. I I I I would think so. Yeah. Now it was a bit strict. Okay. Uh, so you did mention to me like in the past that um you did server ownership for a bit, yeah. Yeah, that twenty four seven payload server I mentioned way back in the intro, that was managed by uh, that was managed by another guy for several years. And then tw towards the end, I think he moved to Japan and he left me in charge for a couple months. I was only in charge for a brief period of time because shortly after, uh, quick play the quick play update happened and that server died a painful death. That was really hmm. annoying. Okay, so I, I spent like two thousand hours on that server making friends. What was it like, sort of, administering for a server like that? Is that something that's sort of given you a lot of perspective on, to, like, how servers operate and ping and whatnot? Well, 
back then I was quite a bit younger, and also managing managing TF2 servers back then was actually a lot easier because the anti cheat anti cheat add ons and the like VAC actually worked. I didn't have a, I never had a consistent cheater problem, and players who just acted out just got banned, and it wasn't an issue. Like it was actually it was pretty easy to manage because it was one of the it was called Fourth Wind. It was one of the bigger servers. So it was just, it was pretty easy. P there was like a strong community and people would just report people who were being dicks and it was just easy to do. It wasn't, it wasn't even a lot of work. The tech, for the technical side, it, w it wasn't really that big of a deal. All you have to do is just make sure that the, all, like the, the stats plugin is still running. Make sure that the server is not lagging, restart occasionally. It's, it's really not a big deal to do. Uh, Although now, although looking back on it, I would have I would have ran the server differently. The guy who set it up rented it through NFO. There was there was there was and is cheaper ways to do TF2 servers by setting it up on a VPS, and like running it yourself. Because I think NFO for a 32 player pub server is like forty dollars a month or something obscene. You can host that for half that much if you set it up yourself. Right. Okay. Do you have any insight onto just sort of like how servers work though from that like routing ping? Oh, like on like on a on a really technical level. Yeah. Okay, so okay, so for anyone who doesn't understand the way the internet works, basically, do you have a router in your house which connects to a router at your ISP, which probably connects to a, an even bigger router. This is all a bit simplified. And then the router for each ISP's main router, let's call it, connects to other ISPs through something called peering. So when somebody says that you have bad routing, what that means is that the path that your, that your connection takes from you to the server is longer than it physically could be. So basically, if you draw a line between you and the server, that's like the minimum latency you can have. Bad routing means that your latency is because there's extra hops, there's more distance than there should be. So that's why everybody uses Chicago mostly for their TF2 servers, because it's centralized and everybody gets, gets a fairly consistent latency to it. Hmm. Okay. And also, that's in in niche cases, you can actually change your own routing by using a VPN, for example, to like route through a different city. I have that problem sometimes where if I need to connect to a West Coast server, I actually turn on my VPN. And I connect to Seattle because it changes my routing from Toronto to Seattle. I have it's it's super technical, and if you have to if you have to have to have to ask, there's really nothing you can do about your routing. Hmm. Like v, VPNs rarely actually fix anything. All right. Okay. Um, do you have any sorts of like sentiments or perspectives built up upon out of region players, given that you have like a lot of knowledge of routing? Yeah, uh, I'm South American snipers. Uh, respect them a lot, but I really wish they wouldn't play an NA because it's impossible to predict when you're going to shot through a wall. Uh, honestly, I don't have a lot of perspective with like Europeans and Australians because where I'm located, my ping is too different from theirs to play together. Yeah, uh, if you're gonna play, if you're gonna have a European on your team, definitely get a get, definitely get a East Coast server. That way, your Europeans have decent ping. <laughs> for the sake for the sake of all NA players, please do not use Chicago servers when you have EU teammates. <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts on like out of region players as classes besides snipers? I rarely I rarely see that to be honest. That's they, fair. They're they're pretty much always playing hit scan classes, if not sniper, because. Projectile classes are just not viable at all. Do you think it's fine, like on other hit scan classes, though, or do you think it ends up being like harmful to the experience? I think on heavy, it's pretty viable because the being able to shoot through walls is pretty powerful. 
thanks light compensation. Engineer engineer is obviously viable up until like maybe like an upper advanced level where the DM starts to take over. Well, even then, actually, yeah, yeah I guess you could play engineer invite with you know an EU player. <laughs> way, to, way to diss my own class. Um, scout, I do not think the Europeans could successfully play scout at any high level if they're crossing the pond, so to speak. Hmm. The lag compensation for some re- like the faster movement speed of scout, the lag compensation does not seem to work as well. All right. How about uh, for heavy though? Do you think it's like fair to play against still? Like, I think it's fair because all the all all the snipers know what I mean when I say peaker's advantage is the fact that the sli- that the heavy can shoot you through walls also means that you have some, you have a bit of lag compensation in your favor when you're shooting him as he's running away. Like right. it's, it's it's not inherently unbalanced. There's give and take with that. Okay, that's fair. TF2's netcode has never been perfect, but it's actually pretty decent in the grand scheme of things. Alright. You just gotta know what settings to run. If you're if you got hundred and fifty ping, you may want to turn up your interp a little bit. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. How does interp work? Like do you have any insight to that? Like how do people like how does interp scripting end up working? Like with spies, for instance. Well, there's there's two sections of this. There's actual interp scripting where you actually have to mod like you're actually like cheating, like you're changing the game files. Then there's like not there's non-cheating changing your interp because you can just set it you can set it as low as the server will allow or higher, and basically they'll just ch- they'll just change how 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 hit registration works for you. And it's it's also it all also ties back into the fact that TF2 servers are cycle based. They're not you, any any Minecraft players will know there's a tick rate in Minecraft. There's also a tick rate for all source servers. The higher the tick rate, the more reliable your hit registration is going to be. That's why competitive servers should always run a high tick rate. Um, if I remember correctly, don't quote me on this. Is uh, competitive servers by default use uh, twice the tick rate of Valve Casual? And what's the downside to having a higher tick rate? Like, why don't Valve Casual servers have a higher one? Great question. That is because it uses more CPU resources, and CPU resources in a data center cost money. Ah, and uh, Valve is obviously so uh, strapped for money, <laughs> of course. Oh, absolutely. Also, it's also it's casual. Players do not care as their hit registration is marginally worse. What about Banny? It does, would Banny care? If you're already better than the other players, it really doesn't matter. That's fair. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're, yeah. Even Banny, even Banny's going to hit less shots on a casual server, but he's still going to hit most of his shots. <laughs> okay. So who would win? The best pub stomper with uh, <laughs> with the power of a high refer- of a high tick rate, or uh, Banny on a on a regular tick on a casual tick rate. I hope you're not being serious, obviously, Bounty. I, I am so serious, but uh, anyways, okay. Uh, so, do you have any like thoughts on like any of the main server providers, like ServeMe.tf, Kixlate? Like, how do they sort of function? Like, uh, why is there like why do people complain about certain server providers? Well, okay. To break it down simply, a lot of this a lot of this comes down to the routing issue. Is that there's yes, obviously you can have uh, three different companies. Let's say all have servers in Chicago. They can still have different routing because there's different ISPs connecting to various data centers. The internet, like not every ISP is connected to every other ISP. So you will have Chicago servers where you get bad ping, and you'll have Chicago servers where you get good ping. For some people, they just have bad routing to a certain provider, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And that's why, if like if you have players who live in like LA or something, sometimes you may have to. You may have to try a different server in order to get a good ping. Right. Okay. 
How about uh, tragic servers? I feel like I've heard some bad things about them, or maybe I'm getting a mixed oh, up. Well, tragic servers, I've never really had a major issue with. There can't I of uh, Kansas is probably the most infamous problem is because everybody has bad routing to Kansas. Why for is some that? Reason. Bad routing. No, why is Can why does everybody have bad routing to it? Uh, because there's no real like in, there's not really any infrastructure in Kansas. Like Chicago is a self fulfilling prophecy where. There's a lot of servers in Chicago, therefore a lot of companies are invested in having good network infrastructure. Kansas is like the black hole. There's just... Kansas... There's data centers in Kansas because Kansas is cheap. You can build a data center in Kansas for half of what it'll cost you in other states. Well... Well, not quite half, but it's... You get a... It's... Land, land there is pretty cheap. So... What's why wouldn't more people just like invest in Kansas servers then and like get that mutual interest in it so that there becomes more like routing infrastructure if it's cheaper anyways? Okay, um, this is going off topic from TF2 a bit, but I'll explain briefly. Sure. So basically, there companies obviously if companies that are say this is not TF2 related, they want low latency for anything they have to access. Kansas is physically far away from major cities, therefore they don't want to put a data center there if they can avoid it, even though it's cheap. Because the cost, because the data centers are expensive, no matter how you slice it. So if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna pay the money to build a data center, you're gonna pay ten million dollars, let's say, to build a data center on a low end. You want you want low latency. You're gonna put it as close to you as you can. Right. Okay. Uh, do you have like a preferred server provider, like one that you think really like outshines the rest in terms of consistency, like uh, for mo for like across people? No, not really. Uh, to be honest, I don't really host servers myself anymore. When I do, I just grab a VPS from a company like not sponsored Linode, and then I just like I just run the software I need on it. It's cheaper. It's cheaper than buying dedicated TF2 servers. Right. Okay. Because like I said, and a company like NFO will charge you like a dollar per server slot, and from you can spend like half that much if you're using a VPS. But you have to know what you're doing, so you have to set it up. Right. Uh, which is which for the uninitiated is like ten hours of googling, and for somebody initiated, it's like fifteen minutes. Do you think it's better for teams to like try and get their own servers, or do you think that like there's no real harm in just going with like uh, serveme.tf or kickslate servers most of the time? Like, what's the main benefit or downside? The, in terms of performance, it's fine. Like using using a serveme server or renting from NFO is totally fine in terms of performance. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna run a VPS, you're really only doing that to save money. Like there, you're not you're not going to experience a way better connection or way or higher like tick rate or whatever. It's it's purely just a convenience thing. Like, I, if you're making if you're making like it's a eighteen slot server is only like twenty two dollars a month I think from NFO or whatever. So if you don't care about saving five ten bucks a month, just buy a server. I guess. I mean. I don't really want to. I don't really want to keep bringing up server hosting names because I'm not getting paid for it. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. This video is sponsored by Squarespace, by the way. All right, where's my cut then? <laughs> you'll you'll see it soon afterwards. Okay. So, what class do you mean, anyways? Like, as a whole. These days, probably engineer because I'm sort of I'm sort of like. I'm at, I'm at the tapering end of my TF2 career where I don't enjoy it as much as I used to, therefore I'm not trying as hard as I used to, therefore I'm bad. Hmm. 
And what did you what did you used to do when you cared though? Like was it just back when I back when I knew how to play TF two, I played medic because it was the most fun at a high invite level. And then demo. Uh, then obviously I had my stints on uh, heavy and demo. Those are fun classes to play when you have the rest of your combos good. I don't know. It's up up. I upper invite demo is a, definitely a struggle for me because of how of how competitive it is with the enemy demos. Right. They they have such good DM that if I if I match their DM, I don't have the brain power left over to main call. And if I main call, I'm usually losing the DM fight. So is that why you run shield to sort of like help alleviate with that? No, that was man, that was strictly for the memes. <laughs> oh, but you still did pretty well with that, gotta say, like that one log yawn product. Uh, the the you, the secret is that back when I played this, back when I put two thousand hours into the into that casual server that I mentioned, I fifty uh, percent of that was playing shield demo. <laughs> wow, okay, so it's like already kind of home to you, yeah. Yeah, the only reason I'm successful with shield is because I I I. I have this mental prediction of where players are standing, and then I throw pipes there. <laughs> Astral projection pipes. <laughs> okay. Like that's a that's a, actually an interesting difference between sixes and Highlander. Is in sixes you'll see a lot more air shots because it's a lot more DM focused. Players there, sixes players have insane DM compared to HL players. It seems. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I'll see I'll see sixes players knocking off like triple air shots, and I'll be like, damn, I think I hit a double air shot once in my life. Yep. That's definitely fair, yeah. That's, I guess, why you might see like see so much success when some of the like better sixes players go to Highlander. Yeah, the sheer mechanical difference, like RPC-33. Yeah, well, well on, Scout, on Scout, it's especially prevalent. That's Prev true. They, uh, sixes demos actually have a hard time adjusting, I find, because there's a, it's a very different workload. And sightlines, right? Sniper. Yeah. I'm not going to name names, but a lot. Actually, I... Yeah, I don't need to name names because every every demo struggles with sightlines. That's fair. Yeah, I'll take a bite of burger right now. It's pretty good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it feels like you start like when people start seeing you run shield and like do really well with it, like get that one log where you like out DPM that other high invite demo man on practic. It felt like a lot of other people sort of started to use the shield. How do you feel uh, about that? Honestly, I really, I really hope that's not true because people shouldn't take what it's like when you, okay, I'm not going to call myself good because I'm not, but when you know what you're doing, you can get away with fucking around a little bit. I was fucking around because I I strongly expected us to lose that match, as did pretty much everybody. So I just went into it with no pressure. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play my best. I'm just gonna run the shield because I know that I'm good with it. And uh, it's not if I was good at demo, I would have ran the stickies. People like people like Art Suspani give me sh give me shit rightly for not running stickies because I and I know I'm not good at demo, so I don't do that very often. That's fair. Yeah, whenever I see people like doing pugs, they're always like, "I'm doing the DZ Creeper demo thing," <laughs> and so well, like you sponsored a cultural renaissance, that's a, man. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh, I hope I hope people don't do that. Is getting away with it in pugs is a lot easier because the level of coordination is so much lower. Right. In pu in pugs, you just in pugs, there's going to be like three players AFK behind their own rock, and it's just free 600 DPM all day long. Right. But then Play on... playing invite, there's going to be like 
there's going to be a scout who's fully buffed walking at you the whole time. It's practically unplayable. Shield is practically unplayable at a high level. Right, it's like you really need that tool set, especially if enemies aren't all going to be in, in the same spots, yeah? Yeah. Okay. The, the only reason why I managed to get that kind of log against KND that one time is because they weren't expecting it. As soon as they realized what was happening, they adapted to it and they just started rolling us again. Right, like I feel like it's really easy to sort of punish a more organized environment or play off of. Yeah, better better team diff always works. Hmm. How did you feel about running it with DCMC? <laughs> honestly, I, that was a mistake. I. Oh yeah. Yeah, I honestly I just thought I could get away with it, and I really couldn't. Honestly, like I did really like it some of the time because it's like I would just whip you, and we would like combo so aggro together, and you'd just have so much resistance. Yeah, it's 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 really fun, but it's not the meta for a reason. Right, that's definitely fair. It's like you would have somebody would have figured it out a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Also, it, also it worked better in the past because people weren't expecting it. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> what would Scottish resistance only demo men look like? Like, uh, if 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 Scottish resistance was the only demo men secondary you could use, what would what how would Highlander be played? What would it be like? Uh, Highlander wouldn't be a thing because nobody would play demo. That is it, that is probably tied for the worst weapon in the game, and I could see literally nobody playing demo so, if it was the only secondary. What would the demo v demos look like, though? Would they just like, lay traps everywhere and hope it, somebody it walked just, into them? It would them? just be pipes. It would just be pipes all day long. Oh, so they wouldn't like take the world's slowest spam fights or like play like super corner gremlins? No, there would just be there would be, should be like three sticky traps, <laughs> and it would be like it would be like playing with a versus second like unbelievably slow and just incredibly annoying to play right like a level the guns would be impossible to take care of basically well no because you could always just uber your soldier <laughs> soldier combo demo goes flank and just like hides with court traps everywhere <laughs> yeah hon Christ. honestly i think it would be i think if any team is looking to mess around rather than running shield demo you should experiment with soldier in your combo i think soldier combo is better than shield demo all i'm saying is scottish resistance demo traps everywhere she combo soldier boom no 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 scottish resistance man it's just not viable <laughs> damn all right how about the quickie bomb quickie bomb is super viable if you learn the timing hmm. i'm gonna be honest i i've i've spent virtually no time with that weapon but i've seen players use it successfully so i know it's good how does it compare if you can time it well like what's the main benefit or and then downside to it if you can time it's, it it's pretty it's pretty simple your burst damage is even higher than stock but your sustained damage is lower and what do you think is more important there? Definitely sustained damage, especially if you're pushing into somebody. Right. Because like, not about just getting like, really high burst damage, it's about like the team roll, right? Yeah, uh, with a quickie bomb, you'll, pro you'll, like, you'll like use your entire clip and the enemy heavy will still be alive, and then you'll be crying because he kills you. <laughs> Sad. Okay. Uh, quickie bomb is especially nice if you're, if you're fighting a team with a really good scout, it could be better than stock. Because you could lay, you could like protect yourself a bit better. You'd have right. you'd have to talk to one of the more experienced demos to to talk about that, like Joey Lemons okay. or Arts of Spanian or somebody, KJR or something like. People have compared me to these demos, but I think most of them are better than me. I think you should probably talk to them about that. That's pretty humble, kind of nice to hear. Yeah, I I, I know my lane. I know I'm better at engineer and medic than I am demo. That's fair. So um, as a medic player, like. Has there ever been that much of like a sense of culture for the class? Like, do you end up interacting with other medics that much, talking about medic with them, anything like that? No, to be honest, like medics, 
Mag is probably the most isolated. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's like the most isolated class where most of your issues on medic you'll actually discuss with your own team rather than demo being with other right. medics. Okay. That... Because if you, I guess there's not really like a whole lot to be gained from from re reviewing with other medics because the what are they going to tell you? Yeah, you shouldn't have dropped that Uber. Oh, you should have not dropped your demo during that exchange. Like most, I think feel like on medic most of your mistakes tend to be a bit obvious if you know what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I already like we already pretty much yeah, that's pretty much like the same sentiment Blake had. Uh how about for Demo Man? Demo Demo Man is a lot harder as a as a class and you actually probably need to review your you need you actually need to do reviews with other players sometimes if you're like a mid-level player because your mistakes won't be obvious to you. You won't understand why pushing one direction isn't better than the other because you'll see you you'll see looks.logs.tf. You'll have 500 DPM. You'll be top damaging, out damaging the other demo, and you'll still be losing, and you won't understand why. <laughs> you can play demo like that, and just you gotta you gotta actually look afterwards with like use your hindsight and understand why you're losing. Right. Okay. Uh, do you ever find yourself like interacting much with the other demo mans or anything like that though? Uh, not particularly. Like I, ha like I have most of them added, and we. But most of the time, it's just I'll just be reviewing with my own team. Hmm. Okay. Well, like not even if necessarily just reviewing, but just kind of like talking out of game. Like, is there ever a sense of like a community within your community just for that class as a main? No, not really. I don't think most for most classes there really is much of a community like that. Hmm. I, and engineer is probably the most obvious one. <laughs> I'd say. I'd say Pyro as well, like with the Pyro roundtables in the past, but I guess maybe it's like mostly there's ice. A pyro, there's a Pyro roundtable? Wow, that must be really degenerate. Uh, they were in the past. I am actually trying to do a new one though. But uh, those were actually really interesting and were, like especially I think for like more casually interested people like newer people. But um, I guess I, that's... I, I, I guess for uh, teaching newer players that could be useful. Yeah, I'm just sorry, having I'm like... I'm sorry to call it degenerate. It's just a Pyro main joke. I won't do it again. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Don't ban me. But, um, I don't know, I just feel like it kind of helps, like, help to establish, like, a sense of a community within the community, kind of? Like, it was just sort of unique. I don't know. I guess it comes, I guess, I guess maybe it's sort of like a miniature mentoring program, I guess. Right, except for it's, like, more of an open dialogue than, like, directly mentoring, and maybe that's, like, more broadly applicable and kind of insightful, yeah. Yeah, I don't really, I don't, there's not really a whole lot of benefit to having an open dialogue with, uh, with other TF2 players, I, like, I guess if you're a team leader, it might be different because then you need to talk. You obviously need to talk to other players. Okay, but I don't. Uh, I know I'm pretty isolated as a TF2 player. Like people, like I have li like uh, my friends list is full of TF2 players, but most of them are like the retired old guys. <laughs> right, right. So it's like yeah, okay. So a lot like it is kind of unique to like pirate engineer in that sense. You would say maybe even spy at most. Yeah, like I don't like there like there's no like there's no demo main movie night if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Darn, okay. I was wondering if you had like the cult of shield or something, you know? Something interesting like that. No, I'm sure <laughs> What's that what's that demo what's that demo YouTuber Solar Light who always runs the shield? Uh yeah, who like always just demo night. Yeah, that's the guy you gotta talk to about that. I see. I'm not it's... I'm not part of the club. <laughs> Fair enough, okay. Um so yeah, uh what sort of led you to kind of have the perspective you have on the community? Like you don't trust like the community as a whole a lot of the time, right? Like you don't wanna interact with the people necessarily? That's not, that's not that I dislike any of them. It's just TF2 is not like I, I don't take it super duper seriously. Like there's no, there's nothing to get invested in about it. I just enjoy playing it. I'll I'll talk to people, but I don't I don't spend unnecessary time with them.
right? Like, you don't especially feel like a part of the community or, like, kind of partake in it, yeah? Yeah, like, there's only been a handful of teams I've rostered on where it was actually, like, a super, like, a super close team environment. Like, like Amistad and Nova, the Season 4 team that made playoffs, that was probably the only team where it was actually a team environment where we would actually, like, play games and we occasionally had, we had, like, one or two movie nights. Like, we actually did stuff. Other teams, that I don't do that anymore. No, I don't think I don't think very few teams do that anymore. And was that something you saw more of in the past? Well, I wouldn't really know because I can only talk about the teams I've played on. But yeah, I think I think in the past it might have been a little more common. And what happened? Like, what caused that shift? If you could pinpoint it, honestly, it's just teams who stayed together longer. If hmm. if you're only on the same team for one or two seasons, you don't really have a chance to bond. I'm I'm sure all the guys in like K and D and like Wish Mode they like they've played together for four plus seasons. They all probably know each other's first names and stuff. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. I, I'm just a generally private person. The, inter- the internet is like strictly an alias thing for me. That's fair. Yeah, I get like super attached to the community. For instance, that's uh, a bit of an interesting contrast. Um. So from your perspective, like, was there any noticeable shift from around, like, when people went from using forums a lot to switching to discords? Like, did that change the community at all? Or the interactions? Uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think the, uh, well, how do I put this? Let me just think. Yeah, take your time. The the scheduling is a bit easier with Discord, because obviously you can have, like, channels for, like, scrim info and, like, actually keeping track of stuff is easier with Discord. I prefer the sim for actual gameplay re- purposes. I prefer the I prefer Mumble and, and like Steam groups, just because it's a bit easier to like. I like the overlay and the low resource usage. Just I'm old school like that. There's like a kind of more out there, like a bit of everything. Yeah. I don't. I don't think Discord is like um, improved TF2 in any way. It's just a thing. Hmm. Oh for, well, well. Actually, I suppose I shouldn't say that. For pug groups, it's great. Hmm. Uh, do you think it negatively impacted the community anyway, or is it more so that like a lot of the issues are just more apparent now that it, we're more connected using Discord? You definitely get a better sense of who the assholes are with Discord. <laughs> it's true. Makes the RGL watch list a lot easier to form, huh? No, because the RGL admins don't spend a lot of time in pug groups for their own sanity. That's fair. How about like all the private Discords, though, where like, all the gremlins hide and lurk, yeah? They're welcome to stay there. I'm, I'm only part of like one or two of them. <laughs> Only part of one or two. Mm, I see, I see. Okay. I have, let me put it this way. I have some discords that I have notifications turned off. Wait, you have notifications turned on on any of your discord? Uh, yep. Interesting, interesting. I can't stand it. I just, like, compulsively check them without notifications. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to waste that kind of time. I have, I, have, I have notifications turned on for, like, two pug groups, my team group, and, like, a home theater discord. That's fair. Um... So you have a lot of technical expertise, right? Like, has that in like impacted your relationships or interactions with players all like at all? Like, I know, like for instance, like some of the time I see like people just going to you for tech tips and help. Yeah, it's it feels like like once a week a TF2 player will ask me for like tech support. I don't I don't mind. It only usually only takes like five ten minutes to help mm. them like pick computer parts or whatever. Enjoy having that sort of like niche within the community. No, not particularly. I just I don't mind doing it because it only takes me a few minutes. Right. Okay. It's my it's my little way of like trying to compensate for. Occasionally, I'll have an outburst of being an asshole, and this like helping people with their computers is like my way of getting the karma back. Right. Gotta regain the social credit score. 
Something like that. <laughs> I see, I see. Okay. Okay, that runs about the brunt of the regular questions I had. I can do a few of like the closing ones, like shout-outs, stuff like that. Sort of what you think the uh, future of the game could be. Uh, do you have any other things you would just want to like bring up or talk about for a bit? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, no, I can't really think of anything too important. Okay. Did you have any specific questions? Uh, can... More so like reflective on your experiences, like stuff like favorite teammates, seasons, just those sort of like more closer questions. Okay. Uh, favorite seasons, definitely. I'm thinking... I think I think most of my silver seasons were pretty fun because it's it's like people can aim, so you're always you're you're never getting you're never like getting free wins, but you can like off class and experiment. It's really fun to play a mid level competitive. I think. And then obviously, I really enjoyed season two and season four because those were both with Emerson and Nova, and we like we did really well those seasons, like winning and then getting second place. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let me think. I think the uh, DMs. Blizz thing. What was the team name? I can never remember. Uh, DCMC, Desperado, Crush, Mambo, yeah. Combo. Yes, thank you. Please come up with easier names to remember next time. <laughs> True. That was pretty fun because it was the first season I got to have like a full season of playing Shield Demo. Now that I... That season proved that Shield Demo sucks for anybody listening. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it we switched fun, off at some point. Yeah. I still kind of think back to that season, just like how screwed we got like near the Grand Finals. Like, just... I mean, okay, the bracket reset's not the worst thing in the world, but then they literally just like got to cut their demo man after playing with him for a full season, then kept getting like invite players as upgrades for their soldier when they had soldier subs who were confirmed to be able to play, and it was just like super questionable all around. No, man, man, it's all fair in love and war in TF2. True, true, true. But man, it's just weird and to think back to, but it was good. No, we were free. We could have done the same thing. We just didn't. We had standards, and we lost because of it. Oh, you, man, no, we lost because we were the worst team. Mm, bit of both. Luckily, it was advanced, so there was no money involved. True, we didn't lose a lot on our minimum wage. <laughs> the most important part. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, no major shoutouts to give. Uh, I, I, like, I, I, I like most TF2 players, but none of them particularly stand out. Right. Okay. I mean, I could be an asshole. I could shout out all the players who have called me dog shit. <laughs> the DC list. Uh, no, I don't. I don't keep a list. That's actually it. Do you have any current concerns about the community, like anything like that? No, not really. Okay. And then, what do you see the future as for like RGL TF2, the competitive scene? Like, where does it go from here? What's its trajectory? Uh, honestly, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be pretty stagnant for a couple years. Like. But I don't think we're going to lose players, but I don't think we're going to gain many either, just because without updates, the only the only pool of players coming into the game comes from casual. Like, the old competitive players do not come back unless there's a serious reason to do so. Right. Okay. Like, like, I, like, my, like I said, my friends list is full of players who could play at an at advanced or invite level, but they just don't anymore because there's no real reason to. They got bored. They moved on with their lives. Val yeah. Valve has to update the game if the, if we want uh, more players. Okay. Uh, even even just expanding the map pool would not be enough. Hate to see it. Uh, 
Yeah, I think they'll be about it, then, unless there's anything else you want to add. Yeah, kill the recording. Understandable.